Well, hi, ladies. So good to be um, with you again this morning in the song. I mean, it's obviously a little bit bittersweet, but I am excited um, to tell you how the book ends. Um, Let me just first say um, my grateful thanks to Rose um, for asking me to teach um, this precious little book this year. Um, And to you all for listening, you've been a very gracious audience. Um, I've loved coming up here on the second Saturday of the month um, with my my two friends usually. We've loved it and getting to know some of you a bit better and um, it's been a very happy um, series for me personally, so thank you. And I hope you're excited to hear how the book ends. And it'll be no surprise when I tell you that the final chapter is all about love. You see, I dressed for the theme. (laughs) The whole book's been about love, hasn't it? As the Beatles would say, it's love, love, love. So let's pray and ask the God of love to help us. Uh, Well, Father in heaven, you've been so good to us. Um, to open your heart to us and show the wonders of your amazing love for us through this little book, Song of Songs. Um, It's the best song ever. Um, So again, uh, for one last time um, this month, we ask you to be with us in Chapter 8. Holy Spirit, help us to listen carefully. Be our guide through these final verses of the song. Help us to finish well. In Jesus' name, amen. So, even though it's love, 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 in this final chapter of the song, what does the author mean by love? How would you define love to someone who doesn't know what love is? or who struggles with the concept. I mean, that, in our experience, that usually happens um, when a person's not being loved, humanly speaking. And then, then they struggle to understand the love of God, what that's like. And um, God, through Solomon, has helped us understand that in the song, Um, In this chapter, um, actually, um, I've got four headings this time, if you're taking notes, and off the record, I think I've really nailed it with the headings this time. It's not love, 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 it's actually love, 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 because there are four. Here we go, if you're taking notes. It's longing for more love. It's stronger than death, love. It's keeping it pure, love, and it's yielding up married love. So let's start with the first definition of love in this chapter, which is verses 1 to 4. It's longing for more love. Now remember that as we come to the end of the song, We're in a season of mature love as far as the bride is concerned. And one clear characteristic of mature love 
is that it longs for more. Mature love is not satisfied with that's enough love. Mature love wants more love. It yearns for it, it strives for it, it defines it. I'm not satisfied with where I am. Look, I'm preaching to my own heart today, um, particularly today. Um, More love is what I want. I want to be more loving. I want more love in my marriage. I want more love in my relationship with Jesus. I want more love for uh, my brothers and sisters in the church. I want that love to grow um, no matter how long I've been a Christian or how long I've been married. Actually, I just want to be more loving, full stop. That's a question that we all need to ask ourselves. If you're married, if you're a Christian here this morning, can you say that? That you want more love for Jesus? More love for your husband. That's what this section is all about. But first of all, in verse 1, it starts with a slightly strange verse. Verse 1, put your nose on it, please. And the bride says, If only you were to me like a brother who was nursed at my mother's breasts, then if I found you outside, I would kiss you and no one would despise me. So it seems that the song was written at a time in society when um, it would be frowned upon for a wife to show affection for her husband in public, but it would be fine for siblings to do that. It's a little bit strange to our ears. It's a cultural thing of the day. It's different today, probably the other way around. You see how important it is to check out the culture of the day when you're studying the Bible because you could make this verse say all kinds of weird things if you didn't do a bit of digging into the background, right? So it seems that the bride is saying she wants more freedom to express affection for her husband and she's a little bit frustrated that she can't. In verse 2, she goes on, I would lead you and bring you to my mother's house, she who has taught me. Now, this is a little bit of um, a tribute here. The bride is paying tribute to her mother, and she's honoring the things that she learnt at home, where home was a little community of faith. That was her home, that was the home she grew up in. It's the kind of home of Titus 2 that you know well where older women teach the younger women how to love their husbands and their children. That's a kind of longing for more love home. God designed our faith to grow in the context of other believers, did he not? Our walk with Jesus, it's not a solo flight. We simply can't do it. I can't do it, and neither can you. And the bride, is she grew up in a yearning for more love kind of home, and she's still longing for more. 
she wants to love the king more. So she goes on, verse 2 and 3. I would give you spiced wine to drink, the nectar of my pomegranates. His left arm is under my head, and his right arm embraces me. Yeah, ladies, this is a book about sex. Once again, you have a very clear invitation from the bride to her husband for physical intimacy. She's very bold about that. She's very free. She's forward. She loves the king. She longs for the king. She wants more love. Every kind of love. This is the mature love of a bride for her king. Mature love, by definition, wants more love. So as I ask myself, do you love like this? I don't think I do, but I want to. We have to ask the Lord Jesus to do that. We can't do it in our own strength. So what a sadness it is that so many marriages settle into dullness and coldness and formality and not wanting more love that's a challenge if you're a Christian here this morning you need to go talk to the Lord Jesus about that if, if the Lord is speaking to you here don't settle for so much less than the kind of love that's spoken about in the song So the overall sense of these first um, four verses, it's longing. It's, It's love, but it's love longing for more love. It's love, love, and more love. There's no limit on the love. True love is yearning for more love. And then in the next little section, that's verses five to seven, we've got stronger than death love the friends say in verse 5 who is this coming up from the wilderness leaning on her beloved now do you remember well it was a few months ago (laughs) do you remember when we heard that the first time it was back in chapter 3 in the wedding chapter and King Solomon was coming up was coming into Jerusalem to collect his bride This time, we have the bride coming up from the wilderness with her king. It says that the bride is leaning on him. They're together. It's a different picture. So once again, we see the human drama of the song pointing to the the bigger, the far more important relationship Um, between Yahweh and Israel in the Old Testament and Christ and the church in the New. It's, It's a lovely picture. It's a picture of that relationship of of you and Jesus. Me and Jesus. You leaning on Jesus. Me leaning on Jesus. Through the wilderness. So let me ask you, are you doing this? Are you leaning on Jesus? 
to get you through the wilderness of this life. If you are, there's no need to be afraid when God puts you or has you already in a difficult situation. Situations when you will need him. In fact, that's what he likes to do. Typically, he'll put us in situations exactly for that reason so that we will lean on Jesus. And there's no safer, more secure place to be. Not so, ladies. Now, verse 6, perhaps some of the best known, perhaps the best known, the best loved verse in the whole song. She says, place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. Um, Now, this word seal in verse 6, it can be translated as a signet ring. Now, when my husband and I were married, um, I gave him a signet ring rather than a wedding ring. It's actually a cultural thing. from where I come from in England. The men tend not to wear wedding rings, they wear signet rings. I know that's not the case in South Africa, but that's the culture where I came from. And to give a signet ring means that you're loved by that person. It, it's a kind of a, it, it's a, an, an agreement. It identifies you as a couple. It's a sign that you belong to that person. And just like me then, 33 years ago plus, this bride wants to be assured that she belongs to her bridegroom. She's saying, bind me to your heart so that nothing will ever separate me from your love. And then to emphasize this point, the bride then in this section, she gives another four examples about the true nature of love. See if you can pick them out. Verse 6b Love is as strong as death. Think about that. God's people rightly incur the death penalty. We all deserve that here because of our sin yet here's the marvellous news God's love is as strong as the penalty and able to overcome it think about this there's no earthly power stronger than death is it but the love of Christ is as strong as death Actually, it's even stronger. Because on the cross, Jesus Christ stared into the face of death and overcame it. Jesus put death to death. Praise the Lord. True love is like that. It's stronger than death. Then secondly, also verse 6b, true love is jealous. It's jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire like a mighty flame. 
God's love is a jealous love. It's intense, it's pure, it's like fire. It's not like the jealousy of the world that um, blows violently out of control. The jealousy of God is under control, it's immovable and it's steadfast. It's unyielding as the grave. It brooks no rivals. If there are other loves competing for our love, then God will do whatever is necessary to keep our love, won't he? Verse 7. True love cannot be stopped. It says many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. Okay, think about significant water moments in Israel's history. There was the flood, the Red Sea, the River Jordan. Well, none of these stop God's love for his people. God's love is like a mighty flame. It's hot. It blazes. It purifies. It's passionate. And it can't be put out. Even if the whole earth is under water. Fourthly, True love cannot be bought, verse 7b. If one were to give all the wealth of one's house for love, it would be utterly scorned. Well, we're so foolish, aren't we? We think we can buy love, even the love of God. We can so easily think, if I just love people more, if I have better quiet times, if I pray more, if I read my Bible more, if I speak more gently to my children, if I don't answer my husband back. That's like saying, I can buy God's love with my works. Bless you. (laughs) But money can't buy me love. Money can't buy love, can it? Verse 7 seems to be saying that if you try to buy love by giving, you sell your house and with the sale proceeds you give these to someone to buy their love. If you try to do that, you just don't understand. You will be utterly scorned. It's (laughs) foolishness. Loyalty, genuine, true love cannot be bought. Faithfulness has no price. Genuine affection has no price. Money can't buy you love. Yet, the Lord God Almighty has bought us. If you're a Christian here this morning, he has bought you with a priceless price. Not with the sale of a house, but at the cost of his own dear son. If you want to know love, then you need to know God. That's love. You need to see how 
He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. That's the love of God. You want to have that love? It's free, without money, without cost. There's no price on it. Actually, it will cost you in other ways. It will cost you your whole heart and your whole mind and your whole strength. It will cost your whole soul. Would you behold the supreme expression of love? Then look at the Son of God on the cross. You be loved this way. Trust in Jesus Christ. Would you show this love to others? Lay down your life for them as he did for you. In the song, love is stronger than death. Then the next section, verses 8 to 10, a slight change of direction, um, which I've called keeping it pure love. This section takes a slightly different turn, love being defined in terms of purity, especially for the younger or unmarried woman. If this applies to your neighbour and she's nodded off, won't you just give her a nudge and make sure she's awake? (laughs) The friends say that they have a little sister and they compare her to a wall and a door. Now, walls and doors tend to shut people out. So it's like the brothers want to protect their sister's purity. They say... If she is a wall, we will build towers of silver on her. If she is a door, we will enclose her with panels of cedar. If you're not married here this morning, how can you prepare for the future? You don't know whether God has marriage in your future for you or not. You cannot know that. How do you prepare for that? For marriage? Or for maturity? Well, one sign of maturity in the believer is that we care for those who are not growing spiritually. For others in the body, for those who are drifting, for those who have hardships, and for those who are stuck in their relationship with the Lord Jesus. sign of mature love is that we care for those ones in the body. Is this you? As part of our calling as older women in the church, and there are a few of us here in the room this morning, but part of our calling is to be building up the younger women in the faith. If this is you, are you doing it? Have you ever done it? I think a cross-reference will be helpful here, so please turn in your Bibles forward to the New Testament, to Titus chapter 2. And while you're turning there, just a bit of background. Titus is the pastor of a small 
start-up church in Crete. It's a church plant in Crete. And the Apostle Paul is writing to him about relationships within the body. If you're in the church Bible, perhaps somebody could say out the page. 2005. 255. Okay, are we there? Right, Paul says... You, you're not there, okay. Okay, are we there? Help your neighbour if she's not there. We're all there? Okay. Paul says to Titus, you, however must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled and sound in faith, in love and in endurance. That's not our job, ladies. Here's our job. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderous or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Here it is. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. Do you see? Paul is saying that we could all be passing on what we've learnt this year in Song of Songs to somebody. Not so. Everyone in this room is older or younger than somebody else. And those of us who are older are to be, than somebody are to be teaching them how to love their husbands from best song ever. And those who are younger are wanting to be learning this because purity is a learned process. And I know with all my heart that I wouldn't be where I am today with Christ without the faithful discipleship of an older woman in my life a long time ago. It's essential for maturity Pass on what you've learnt about love from the best song ever to somebody else. Encourage them to love their husbands, their children. Encourage them to love Jesus more, to love others in the body. Do you see? Then that section ends with the bride saying, I'm a wall, verse 10, back in the song. I am a wall and my breasts are like towers. Thus I have become in his eyes like one bringing contentment. You see, the pure are rewarded. The bride is saying here that she kept herself pure for the king. And now she's bringing him contentment. 
by maintaining her own purity, the bride has made herself suitable for King Solomon. Think about the bigger picture here, ladies. Under the old covenant, the true people of God were to be pure, like God is pure. And under the new covenant, if you're a Christian here this morning, we are to keep ourselves pure, like Jesus. So, Solomon has defined love in terms of it yearns for more love, Love is stronger than death, love. Love is keeping it pure, love. I said there were four ways. And so finally, yielding up married love from verse 11 to the end. And here we are. The final section of the final chapter I expect some of us thought we'd never get here but here we are verse 11 Solomon had a vineyard in Baal Hamon he let out his vineyard to tenants each was to bring for its fruit a thousand shekels of silver Okay, these tenants were the keepers of the king's vineyard and they were required to pay 1,000 shekels for the use of the land for the ability to farm it and to benefit from its fruit. They could keep 200 pieces of silver for themselves, it says, verse 12. But the bride also has a vineyard. And she says, verse 12, But my own vineyard is mine to give. The thousand shekels are for you, Solomon, and two hundred are for those who tend its fruit. So what is she taking for herself? Nothing. She wants all the yield from her vineyard to go to the king. She doesn't keep any of it for herself. She doesn't have to give him anything. She's not obligated to him in any way. It's her vineyard. But she is giving up her vineyard entirely willingly, voluntarily to the king what does that mean? well one final application from the song for everyone married or not listen up here it is the bride is yielding herself completely and willingly to the king At one level, this is King Jesus, the King of the universe. The bride is yielding herself completely and willingly.
to King Jesus. No excuses. No, I'm just going to keep that little bit for me. Just, yes, Lord. I give my life, my all, utterly to thee. I told you I was preaching to my own heart this morning. It's called submission to Jesus, ladies. And in the song, the bride shows us the way. She submits completely and willingly to King Jesus. Let me be the first to put up my hand and say, I'm sorry, I don't do this. But there's more. Married ladies, you know what's coming, don't you? Don't knock the messenger. I'm just telling you what it says. And what it says is that in the human story of the song, the bride is yielding herself completely and willingly to her husband. If you're married today, or you may be married one day in the future, if you're a Christian, you are the bride of Christ. And we are to yield ourselves completely and willingly to King Jesus and to our husbands. The husbands he has given us. While the dust settles, let's get back to the passage, verse 13. He says, you who dwell in the gardens with friends in attendance. This is the king speaking now. He, he, he just gets a little verse in before the end. You who dwell in the gardens with friends in attendance, let me hear your voice, he says. He wants to hear her voice. Now we saw this earlier in chapter 2, a long time ago, and now he says it again. He wants her to talk. Now I think most husbands would probably say, <laughs> are you mad at this point? But ladies, isn't this what we want? That our husbands want us to talk to them? Isn't that what we want? So you see, this is so cool. Everybody gets what they want. She gives him what he wants. Her vineyard, yes, that's sex and it's submission. That's what he wants. God's designed him that way. He didn't make it up. God made him that way. That's what he wants from us. She gives him what he wants, willingly and freely, and 
She gets what she wants. He says, talk to me. (laughs) Now, I need to stress at this point, I am absolutely not telling you to go home to your husband and and say, Gillian said... The Bible says I must talk to... Please don't do that, ladies. If you do that, you should at least give them the whole story. And be careful about the words you use. Seriously, ladies, because we do love to talk, don't we? So let's not blow this with too much talking. That's not what it means. The point is, at the end of the song, there is mutual understanding between the bride and the king about the desires of the other. They want to please the other. They want to enjoy and delight in the other. The bride delights, she delights to give herself to her husband. She yields up married sense, she yields up married love in every sense of the word. And she does it willingly and wholeheartedly and completely. And he wants to hear her talk, her voice. Once again, you've got the picture of a bride, a human bride and her king, pointing us to the picture of the bride of Christ and her king. And what we say to him, because he wants to hear our voice. Think about the things that we usually say to the Lord Jesus. We whine and complain. I need this, I need that. I want this, I don't want that. I'm sorry. I've blown it again. I'm sorry. Our prayers tend to be so poor and weak and self-centered but he wants to hear them anyway he wants us to talk to him think about how much time we spend talking to other people relative to the time we spend speaking to the Lord what a challenge that is to our prayer lives Because unlike a good romantic movie, sorry, I blew that. Unlike a good romantic movie, the song doesn't end with the lovers united and walking off hand in hand into the sunset. It doesn't end like that. It ends here. And we know that one day the beloved will come for us. But it's not yet. And until he comes, until that day, we must talk to him. 
He wants to hear our voice. We must pray. The great Charles Spurgeon puts it like this. What would a husband say if his wife was seen to be chatty and cheerful to everybody else but never spoke to him? O believer, will you let the Lord Jesus, as it were, with tears in his eyes, say to you, you talk to everybody but me. You lay yourself out to please everybody but me. You're a charming companion to everybody but me. Oh, our beloved Lord Jesus, how ill we have treated thee. How much we have slighted thee. These words go like a dagger to our souls. For I have spoken all day long to others, but have scarcely had a word for him whom my soul loveth. Yet the beloved says, verse 13, You who dwell in the gardens with friends in attendance, let me hear your voice. Then the final verse, and not surprisingly, because who has spoken more in the book? Who has the last verse, ladies? It's, it's the bride. The bride has it. And she says, Come away, my beloved. Be like a gazelle or like a young stag on the spice-laden mountains. My beloved, she calls him. And the question must be, as we come to the end of our studies in the song, must be this. Is he your beloved? Is Jesus Christ really your beloved? Not just in name only or in a religious way. Maybe you do go to church and you sing hymns and songs to him. You read about him sometimes and you speak about him. You have friends who know him and you agree with what he says or most of it. But is Jesus Christ truly your most precious beloved? Your king, your heavenly bridegroom, your lover, your friend, to whom you will give up your life in service, completely and willingly. The song this book is singing, the love song that this book is singing, is it? the best song ever for you. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we bless your name. 
We thank you for this beautiful little book in the middle of the Bible. Thank you that it sings the song of the whole Bible. And we join our hearts and our voices with the bride and we say, Oh Lord Jesus, we love you. Thank you that you love us with a love which is stronger than death. That you are jealous for our love in return. That your love for us burns like a mighty flame and deep waters cannot quench it. We long for that day when you will come for us And we pray that we would be ready, a holy and radiant bride. Even so, come Lord Jesus, come. We pray all all these things in his precious name and for your glory. Amen.